You know what that sound means? It's time for another episode of Game for a Movie. I am your host, Mikey Tech. I am joined by... Andre Bellinger. It's Jill. And we have, from the laundromat... <laughs> hey guys, first time, long time. It's Mitchell from Bristol calling in from a parking lot in front of a laundromat. <laughs> <laughs> like working at the car wash, but hey. the laundromat. <laughs> I feel like we should have like a bunch of like soundboard dumbass sounds, like a radio show ready for a call- calling yeah. segment. Yeah, sting. Yeah, sting. That's exactly sting. right. We got bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you can go on your very way, Mitchell. We will just jump into it with you. Uh, this episode is all about directorial debuts. We each picked a different director and tried to watch their first film. So we start with you. What director did you pick, and what is their first film? So the very one of my favorite directors working today is Damien Chazelle. Um, the first film that I saw from him was Whiplash. On a plane ride from Hawaii back to LA on a business trip, and my boss is the one who suggested that I watch it because he knew how much I love movies, and he's like, and he knew how much I love musicals. He okay. said, "Hey, this isn't a musical per se, but this is <laughs> probably se. one of the, one of those movies that's made for you." So I'm like, "All right, all right." It was out of the theaters by that point, but I saw it was on on Delta. So I popped that I popped that on and then I texted him right after we landed and I'm like, Bill, that's that's the name. I think I watched the best movie of this year on a fucking airplane. <laughs> and I was blown away. I was able to see it in theaters a couple years later. Nice. Um, and then La La Land hits that is perfectly up my alley. And then First Man came out I believe a year and a half ago. So I've seen all of Damien Chazelle's movies at this point, I yeah. thought, until I did some digging, and realized, holy shit, there was a movie that he did before Whiplash. And okay. it was actually his senior thesis project uh, when he was a student at Harvard. And the name of the film is Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. That's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. Yeah, it's about the title. Are you, you did some real digging to find a senior thesis project. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So, yes, it's a senior thesis project, but it premiered, like, formally had a premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. Oh, wow. It was still on people's radars, like, really in the film community, but it was on people's radars. So this is a black-and-white musical-type movie, I would say, not a full-on La La Land-type deal, but you have choreographed as I dodge traffic. Sorry. <laughs> Be safe. Jesus, I'm sorry. I, t- I wanted to talk a lot. Like a West Wing episode. Why did you walk with me? It's true. <laughs> so, in addition to the tap dance, you've got a lot of jazz music. So, basically, everything that you would expect from Damien Chazelle if you had seen his other movies. Like, okay. um, was they put in music cues in First Man, which is about Neil Armstrong, you know? Yeah. yeah. So the whole yeah the whole thing about it is it's a it's a romance love triangle type movie. I would say its DNA is probably closest with La La Land. You got very you know young talented people looking to make it into the world um, while trying to balance both their love life and some of their other interests. I guess you could say. Uh, but what really uh, Took me aback when I watched it. I mean, this is a suit film. Like, yeah. This is this is black and white. It's grainy as shit. It looks like a like a French new wave movie more than anything else. Okay. But the structure of it is like an MGM musical, and that's not an original take, by the way. Like a lot of different reviews uh, said the same thing about it. Uh, but more than anything else, it's really the sound design that completely blew me away. Okay. Uh, sorry. I'm sorry. This is still looking at me weird this entire time. Hold on. This might be the most interesting <laughs> yeah, podcast right. oh ever. What's next in the saga, <laughs> Mitchell? Like, this guy is, Like, he's on the other side of a lot. Just remember... <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, I'm feeling really proud of it. <laughs> it's okay, because I have a certain set of skills, and I will find you. <laughs> Just continue to talk confidently into the phone. Yes. 
Yes, okay. I'm not trying to go secret. Maybe he's a Damien Chazelle fan. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wait, is that Damien Chazelle? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, guys, this is this is a good movie, not great. Um, okay. You can okay. see a lot of DNA of what what could be um, what would come from Damien Chazelle once you give him a budget. Um, it's the same thing that you would see in the short film that pre that uh, preceded Whiplash. It was like the short five ten minute scene that was cut straight from the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of it comes down to again sound design and then character dynamics. Those are the things that. I feel like are always going to be a part of his filmography. So it's everything from music uh, to atmosphere. And then I guess how your main two lovers look into each other's eyes. It, it's You see that at the end of La La Land. You see that at the end of First Man. So you see it in this film. Hmm. Um, I don't have a, a lot to elaborate, really. Yeah. Um, Kind of like scurrying back. Is the, where is the movie, the, the film set? Is it, it's not LA. Is it um, no. New so York or Boston? It's set in Boston? Yeah, it is Boston. So Boston initially, but a lot of it takes place in New York as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's like the main, the main guy. Um, so one of his lovers uh, Oops. is <laughs> living in New York after they kind of have a breakup. I guess you want to call it a breakup. Uh, it's really interesting. Like the first five minutes of the movie, it's all music. It's like a musical, not an interlude. I don't know what it's called at the very beginning of a musical. Uh, but basically, it tells the brief three month story of the initial couple's relationship. All okay. the music, no dialogue, anything like that. So that is the first lover. So she plays a huge role in the movie. Her, th- her whole thing is after their breakup, she tries to move down to New York, and then a guy, who's the main dude, um, after he has a sling, is just like, wait, I miss Natalie, who's the first girl. So she kind of chases her down to New York. Oh, um, so it really yeah. is Guy and Madeline. <laughs> it is Guy and Madeline. Those are the characters. Okay. Hmm. And they break up on a park bench, so spoilers. Oh. <laughs> well, now I'm not going to find this senior thesis project. Damn it. <laughs> so, I was able to find it. It's so weird. Amazon Prime has a deal with Ubi, M-U-B-I. And okay. you could subscribe to them for like six ninety nine a month in addition to Amazon Prime. Um, I did the one-week free trial to watch this. Good call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, is a, it is a cinephile's wet dream, don't get me wrong. But I'm still trying to work my way through the HBO Max TCM library before mm-hmm. I move on to anything else. Oh. Uh, but yeah, it, it's really odd that this student film that costs, I think I read $30,000, um, wow. it has made its way to multiple different streaming services, including Sundance uh, and now Movie. And okay. it was available for rental on YouTube for a little bit. Yeah. So I'm wondering if it ever made money. Because thirty thousand is a, you know, it's not. It's, it's a lot for a student film, but not a. It's, you can't even make a movie for that. Like um, in the, I remember recently hearing that uh, even Blair Witch Project had a meager budget, but it was like at least a million. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. It's it's everything from <laughs> it, it's feeding your cast and crew. Mm-hmm. You know, it's renting space. I mean, these were shot in cities. Um, so you have to get permits for certain shots. And, you know, the music itself, you know, even though it, you know, that was also composed by a fellow student, uh, the rights to record and all that is still going to cost money. Hmm. So even all of that adds up. And by the way, submitting it into a film festival isn't great. Um, right. So all these things add up. Yeah. What I think is most interesting about this movie is how everything about it uh, has kind of become a calling card of what Damien Chazelle and Justin Hurwitz have been known to do. If you listen to the music, the way the horns sound, I'm not a guy who knows anything specific about music at all, mm-hmm. uh, but it sounds like Lama. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just yeah. sounds like it. So I don't know how to describe that any better, but the horns... They share the same so, sonic DNA? It's, it's in his DNA. Um, so anyway, it's and again, what what I was most struck by was the characters and 
all the little things that make up the human connection here. And this, like I said, it's a very gritty looking film. At times, I bet if I were to put it in front of you and give you a random 10 minute clip, you would swear it's a documentary. Oh. All the shots are handheld. It's all grainy black and white. It looks like if anyone here has taken a film class, you probably would have seen the documentary called High School. It came out in the 1960s. And it's a film about, uh, you know, high school students in the 1960s. It's all shot black and white. And it's going through everything from getting detention to cutting class. And it had the same gritty, handheld look of this movie. And I think that added to, you know, the humanity behind it. That kind of gives that extra step beyond the, oh, these guys are randomly tap dancing now. You know, there's some realism to the story with the school. Interesting. Yep. All right. Any questions? Before, well, I was just going to say, before we let you go, um, what would you give this movie? Um, look, it's tough, right? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm judging what Damien Chazelle was probably like 20 or 21 when he made this. Yeah. Not Chris. to say that you can't make a big movie at that point. There have been plenty of examples. Uh, I'm not sure how old Orson Welles was when he made this game, but he was incredibly young for that. Um, I think he was. I think yeah, I was thinking th- 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 twenty-four. It's not an accessible movie. Yeah. Okay. Not by streaming and not by hey, you're a random person who likes uh, Whiplash. Uh, here's a guy, Madeline, on a park bench. I'd probably give it uh, three out of five, and that's being a Damien Chazelle fan. Okay. Okay. So uh, three out of five park benches. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and my thing is, if I look at everything else, I give Whiplash a five out of five. I give La La Land 5 out of 5, and I give First Man 4 out of 5. You know, so everything else is super high for me. Yeah. Um, but this is him just starting to hone his craft. Just starting to turn the wrenches in terms of what kind of story he wants to tell. And, yeah. And for that, I appreciate it. If it wasn't Damien Chazelle, and I thought this was some random dude, this would probably be 2 out of 5. Because some of the tap dancing does seem random. Right. And some of the music cues kind of feel a little gratuitous. Um, but you can see what they're going for, and to a certain level, you have to appreciate that. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, three out of five, knowing that it's Damien, two out of five, probably unweighted. I didn't know who the director was. Gotcha. Nice. Okay. Cool. All right, Mitchell, we're going to let you go. Be safe. Uh, yeah, they, they did last a while back. Okay. Good. <laughs> Staring him down. Back into the laundry net to pull some clothes now. <laughs> um, again, you can tell how safe I feel in this area. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, again, first time, long time. I'll take my answer off the air, and I'll take. I'll talk to you guys later. Okay. Have a good pod. Yeah. Bye, yeah. buddy. All right, Bye. see you, dude. So now that Mitchell's safe, um, <laughs> thank God, thank God, yeah, um, we're gonna jump into the people here. It yeah. is really weird to see you guys in person, like yeah, for a pod. Nice. It's nice, yeah, yeah exactly. I'm it. We've we've been doing mostly like Google Hangouts and stuff like that, but it's actually nice to see your faces as we talk and drink beer because you know we didn't go into it. What are we drinking, everybody? Oh yeah, um, I'm drinking. I think I've done this on the pod before. Two roads, too juicy, classic. Over reliable. Nothing wrong with that. I've got a uh, big cranky from Stony Creek. Stony Creek, fantastic. I've got is it Dell's shandy? It's like yeah. a summer shandy, but it's made with Dell's lemon ice. So Ooh. that's great. Is there limes in it? Because like the upper part looks like a cucumber. Uh no, but yeah, I see how you get. I think there, it's supposed right? to evoke like a lemon lime soda of it's, sorts. It's a beer with natural lemon flavors. There you go. Aha. Uh-huh. So yeah, and it's from our friends in Narragansett. Hi neighbor. All right. Uh, Andre, you're going to follow us up. That's right. Damien Chazelle was first. Who do you have as your director and movie? So I am picking uh, Alex Garland as my directorial debut of choice. Good choice. Uh, And his first film was actually a pretty recent run, Ex Machina. He only has two films that he's directed so far. Um, So I have a question right off the bat. Yes. I got spoiled on the ending. Oh, no. Okay. And so I have never gone back and seen the rest of the film. Yeah. Knowing the ending, can I go back and watch it and still enjoy it? Yes. I'd say 100%. I've been meaning to talk to somebody about this because I do want to watch it. Yes. It's just I I know the end, you know, and it's it's, but yes, I will get into that momentarily. I won't I won't spoil anything here because I think people should go into this blind if they can. But um, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So Alex Garland is kind of an interesting case because he's kind of been in the industry for a while. It was interesting. I remember 
finding out about the league, seeing this movie for trailers, mm-hmm. and they very mar- like so Alex Garland, his biggest like splash on the scene, as far as I know, was him writing Twenty Eight Days Later. Like okay. that was like his first like he wrote for that movie, and that's like that was what they used in all the trailers, like from the writer of Twenty Eight Days Later, blah. And they made it, they framed it like a horror movie. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I, uh, Jill and I sat down to watch this a couple days I ago. I think you. she can agree. This is definitely not a horror movie. And I asked you, is this considered a horror movie at one no. point, right? Yeah. Yeah, I right. did. Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. He also did the screenplay for Dread? Yes. Oh, yes. and Enslaved Odyssey to the West. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, so he's done video games, too, which is yes. weird. And I, I, I found that out after. Like, Enslaved and DMC Double Make. His first, yeah, there you go. We're on the shelf. Uh, on the shelf. Just waiting for it. All right, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so this is his first actual, like, debut directorial film. Yeah. Um, and my god honestly like this is probably one of my favorite films of the last decade so it was kind of yeah. cheating i was like all right this is an excuse to watch talk about one of my favorite movies whatever um i guess it's just some of the premise i guess uh so the conceit is that uh the main character our main character uh, played by Donald gleason works for a very large software corporation uh, i think it's called blue book might as well be facebook you know okay. something yeah. like that and he win- he's an employee, he's a software engineer for that huge company, and he wins a lottery to spend a week uh, in a very remote location uh, where his company's CEO lives, who's known to be very eccentric and a recluse, basically. Mm-hmm. Been off the grid for, I think, years at that point. Um, who happens to be played by Oscar Isaac. Okay. So, he's be- so Oscar Isaac is basically playing a ne- like, uh, very eccentric... Uh, Mark Zuckerberg type. And I know he um, did Annihilation 2. Yes. Os- Oscar Isaac's obviously in that as well. Okay. Yep. 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 Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Alex Garland likes, like, his buddy buddies with Oscar Isaac, I suppose. So, yeah. Who um, isn't? Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I love to be buddies with him. Right. Um, and, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, Caleb, uh, played with Donald Gleason, thinks, like, he's just there to hang out with, like, oh, I won the lottery. Like, you know, I won this trip. To hang out with my CEO, and he finds out that he's brought here to uh, conduct what's called a Turing test. Uh, so, Oscar Isaac has developed uh, an artificial intelligence, and he wants Caleb to perform a Turing test, which is basically a test that involves trying to prove uh, if art- an artificial intelligence is real or not. It's actually artificial, or it's actually like actual intelligence. And it's done by basically the, a classic Turing test would be a human interacts with a computer, but they don't know that they're interacting with a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, like basically, it's behind closed doors. But imagine you're having a phone call conversation with somebody, and yeah. uh, if you so, and on the other side is a computer. If the human talking with the computer doesn't realize they're a computer, the they the, that computer has passed Turing test. They are an artificial intelligence. They are actually intelligent. Okay. Um, so basically, Oscar Isaac has built a super sophisticated cyborg robot and wants to find out if what he's built is uh, is true intelligence or not. Um, and right off the bat, uh, you can just kind of get this sense of re- weird tension between the two characters. Um, I mean, Oscar Isaac's kind of built his like his like, the first time we see him, he's like pumping weights. He's meant like to be punching a bag. Yeah, punching a bag. You're right. Yeah. So he's very fit. Yeah. Uh, and you can t- he kind of has like an opposing like presence about him. Yeah. And you can tell that he's kind of intimidated. And there's just something a bit off about him. You can tell that he sees himself kind of above everybody else. That's yeah. why he separated himself from everything. And, uh, he basically, it's, I mean, uh, you know, through the dialogue between him and Donald Gleason, you kind of just get the idea that he, that, uh, Oscar Isaac sees himself as, as a god trying to usher in a new era, basically. Okay. Um, and, yeah, it's just super fascinating the way that that tension is kind of built up, both mm-hmm. with, in terms of the dialogue, uh, the, the, the soundtrack behind it. Um, I mean, I've listened to the soundtrack, not while I've worked, but just kind of as, like, an ambient, like... Uh, like in the background for a while, and it's it's very anxiety inducing. It's really, really uh, it's just I, it gets you. It gets you. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, and and yeah, the way that this movie is shot, it's just beautifully done. Everything. It's basically it takes place almost entirely on um, Oscar Isaac's remote facility, so okay. it's a very very tight set. It feels claustrophobic. It's supposed to. I was telling Jill I was afraid to watch this because I was like, you know, like I don't. I definitely didn't want to watch it in the middle of lockdown. And now, right. you know, now I'm kind of in a better place to watch that. that yeah, you feel like the walls are closing in a little yes. bit. Yes, like, yeah, yes. And that. this movie, this movie definitely evokes that feeling because yeah. it wants you to also feel uh, sympathy for the AI character. Who I haven't even talked about yet. Ava. This is the okay. this is the robot that uh, that Oscar Isaac has built. Alicia Vikander. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Played by Alicia Vikander. Um, and. So basically, the way the Turing test goes is that um, Donald Gleason is just sit in a glass room, 
uh, opposite uh, Alicia Vikander. Okay. And they just have conversations. Uh, basically, you know, you can t- kind of, the, the way that, like, the, the Dommel's, like, the, the, the at first, you can kind of tell that he's, like, kind of treating this like a, oh, like, are you really an artificial intelligence? Like, oh, like, tell me something about yourself. Like, she, he's, like, obviously trying to trip her up. Right. Um, but you can, you can, you can, you kind of immediately get the sense that she does not like the idea of being confined. Uh, and that is kind of like the biggest sticking point is that she's not allowed to leave that mm-hmm. the room that she's in. And you can tell that that's kind of her main prime directive is to try to escape, try okay. to try to be live out in the world. Right. And in a way that's almost the biggest proof that she is be like, she does have intelligence because you know, what's more human than wanting to live free right. freely. Um, hmm. and yeah, I, I don't know. I can't really talk about the narrative further without kind of spoiling stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just yeah i just really love the way this movie is shot cinematography wise uh the way they kind of play on the viewers expectations a little bit as far as twists go Mm -hmm. um it's just you know it's got all the building blocks for a really solid thriller and it's kind of it it, it's left me with a lot of questions about what's the meaning behind artificial intelligence as Mm -hmm. well as it kind of touches on fascinating parts of uh like basically the the idea of a surveillance state that we've set up for ourselves with social media because definitely oscar eyes like it's very clear there's supposed to be a standard for facebook and they kind of get into the very gray morality of what we've kind of set up for ourselves as right. far as how much information we give to we to uh yeah. you know big giant corporations okay i don't know and so i, I guess i should stop babbling and let jill kind of chime <laughs> in because i this is her first time watching yeah. this movie with me so yeah. i'll i mean this in the best possible way it reminded me of an episode of black mirror mm. okay um, yeah yeah on the money and there were things in the movie that I liked a lot. Like, a very, I loved the soundtrack. The cinematography was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because I'm just good at guessing things. Yeah. Or I've seen enough stories that were this narrative that I was able to guess some things that were going to happen before they happened. Right. Um, but it was still very, very good. Um I think, <laughs> I think I like between of like the three principal characters. So Oscar Isaac's character's name is Nathan. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Caleb, and then you have Ava. I think just Oscar Isaac. Every time he was on screen, mm-hmm. it was like a pendulum swinging from "I am this genius who thinks I am God" to this broken, sad, pathetic person who every night is just oh, getting blitzed yeah. Yes, just absolutely hammered. Like, sober and egotistical in the morning, a crying mess at night. Yes, okay. it, and it's so great, his conversations with uh, with Caleb. Like, you can just immediately tell. Like, it, like the literally when they first meet, he was like, oh, sorry, like, I'm super hungover. Like, I, you know super hungover from last night and then Caleb's like, oh, like, how was the party? Like, you know, like, yeah. oh, gotcha. Like, oh, it must have been a rager, huh? And he's like, what? No. Party. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and should I, I don't know if I should mention or whatever, but like basically the red, the red, they've ratcheted. This is like maybe in the first half hour or so. Yeah. They've kind of ratcheted up the tension to the point where like Caleb does not trust Nathan as much as he did when he started. Something's okay. fishy. And something is definitely fishy and askew. Yeah. Uh, and you find out that there are random power outages that happen in the facility that cause a lockdown. So right. basically, Caleb gets locked in his room momentarily. And, uh, you know, he gets freaked out a little bit and he brings it up to Nathan being like, hey, like, what's the deal with these power outages? He's like, oh, it's something wrong with the system. Uh, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. Uh, like, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like, I had these guys come in and install my power, my power system uh, and I paid top dollar for it and I still run into problems. And he's like, oh, well, I can't just have them, like, come back and fix it. He's like, nah, I can't. I had them killed off as soon as they did it. And you can, like... Yeah. What? And you can like, but like he kind of makes him like, gives him like a little wry smile where it's like, oh, I'm kidding, dude. You know, yeah, but like, yeah. just do you know if he's kill- he, Like, just the way I'm not giving it ju- the way that's like framed is just like a little casual it's lining. Like Oscar Isaac would do it too. Yes, like, yeah. Yeah. yes, yeah. yes. It's very much a huge, great performance piece yeah. for all of those principal actors. To be honest that's with awesome. you. So, yeah, okay. no, Anyways. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's like my dad's like loves sci-fi, but he's also rather particular about the type of sci-fi that he wants yeah. to watch. He doesn't want to watch. Um, Bad example, but, like, Event Horizon to him is not a good movie, but okay. it's, like, stupid fun. Yeah, okay. That's, like, a schlocky smarter. horror film. I mean, like, it's a good horror film, under, but it's... Under I mean, stu- stupid fun is, is different yeah. than, like, you can you can have stupid fun movies. Yeah, like, this yes. is... I mean, it's not as I'm gonna be way too heady. It's not, like, 
heady in the way that Prometheus is choking on its own. Yes, right, right. Yeah. But if my dad's gonna watch Prometheus. a sci-fi film, <laughs> <laughs> and that's like kind of what I like because like this this we is a sci-fi. You. What? Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I well, spaced out there. On that note, <laughs> I feel like this is kind of going for what Prometheus went for, but this is actually more closer to nailing it. The whole idea of like this what is, is the concept good. of like yeah. okay. exactly like it's heady, but it also is like. You know, Prometheus is also trying to be a fun sci-fi flick at now the same time. Now I need time. to go out of my way because literally, I, I we're, we're joking about it, but I have enslaved Odyssey to the West right there. It's one of my favorite video games from Xbox 360, and that Alex Garland wrote it. I'm sitting here going, <laughs> I need to watch this. Like, I need to. Yeah. yeah. So what I was saying is that my dad likes heady sci-fi films. And yeah. This is one that you're going to walk away from asking a lot of questions. Like, after, I know after we finished watching it, I turned to Andre, and I was just like, okay, so, like, some theory, like... In theory, these things could happen, or, like, maybe there was this confrontation that might have happened off-screen, or later, or after the fact. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things there that you're going to just, you know, you want to see what what happens next, but there is no more, so all that's left right. is the, the vacuum of speculation. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I enjoyed it, I you know. So I'm looking up, did What's I up? hear correctly that Ex Machina may be getting a sequel? What? what? Really? I, I'm... Wow. Maybe I'm wrong. It's gonna be iRobot. It's gonna down like crater. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just go into iRobot territory. Yes. Right. Okay. So it says there will won't be one. There okay, won't be cool. one. Okay. Great. Yeah. I just yeah, I I feel yeah. like I saw something that said there might be. And I I, I definitely. Like, there's no direction that movie could go that wouldn't there would without fear of comparisons to other things that yeah. exist. Yeah. And no film like I don't. This isn't a spoiler. There's AI in it. No film wants to be compared to The Matrix. Yeah. Because when you hear that word, you're going to think very specific things. And not the original Matrix, but like... Oh, all right. Sorry. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm thinking the, I'm the, the original. The original Matrix. The, the original I thought Matrix. you were talking about, like, sequels ruining something, but no, you're... That, I got that too, but like, you yeah. know, you do, there's some things where it's just like, you know, there's like, um... What's the right word for that? Like, pillars of a genre... Yeah. And when you get into the territory of AI, there's, like, four or five distinct, like, you hear AI in a film and your mind goes to, like, one of a few different types yep, of films. Right. Yeah. And, like, um, Blade Runner, one of them. Okay. Yes, like, yeah. You don't, yes. you know, there's unique ways, and I think Ex Machina ends on such a good note that it really defines itself as a really unique take on this genre mm-hmm. that anything that's going to come afterwards is just going to be compared to Blade Runner or The Matrix right. or iRobot. Right, yeah. <laughs> Have you guys watched Annihilation? Yes, no. I have. Okay, yeah. I have not. Okay, you have not. Okay, so I, I'm wondering more so, Alex Garland, is it similar style? Is it different style? Is you it... can definitely tell it's the same director. You can okay. definitely tell that he has a hand in it. Um, I would say Annihilation yeah. is actually much closer to a horror film. Okay. Um, and Annihilation is also adapted from a novel, and I haven't yes. read that novel. Um, so I would say that it's not, like, the narrative is definitely way different. Uh-huh. Um but it still has some great character moments. Like, it still has kind of similar strengths to Ex Machina in terms of it's beautifully shot. Um, the scope of the movie is way bigger, though, I would say. Okay. Like, there's way more yeah. sets, just period. Yeah. Um, and way it more characters. Like, it, it, it goes yeah. Yes, right. There are characters exploring an environment. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, did yeah. he write the screenplay for both of them? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, IMDb. Um, they know. both they both ask very heady questions of uh, sci of the sci fi variety, but yeah. um, Annihilation covers something very different that I don't want to spoil that in. Um, but yeah, I think Annihilation is a pretty different film. Uh, mm-hmm. I tend to prefer Ex Machina, but I I would say that's down to taste. Yeah, um, and that, that's totally fair because I mean they are different movies for what their style is. Yeah, exactly. And then okay, the only other thing he's really done directing wise is Debs, and he's done some episodes. <laughs> yes, he's he done some episodes Debs. of Debs. Yes, yeah. yes. That's why I was like, trying to. Oh yeah. 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 So he's like basically he's known for like writing screenplays. And, yeah. yeah. And like his writing, I'm sitting here going like this is awesome because he did 28 Days Later, he did uh, obviously Enslaved. Uh, Dread, Devil May Cry, Ex Machina, Annihilation, and then some of the episodes of Devs. Yeah. So, okay, all right. So, we get down to rating. Yeah. What would you give this? I know you said it's one of your favorite movies. Yeah. So, what would you give this? I would give this, like, a 4.75... Oh, man, I should have come up with a metric beforehand. Should have. 4... Point seven five awkward dance interludes oh, out of five. Oh, God, yeah. Mm. There's a, it's a okay. moment. Yeah. It's okay. a moment where it's like you're, the tension has kind of built. Yeah. To the point. And then it's just like dancing. Yeah, okay. no, it's so, it's so good. It's deranged. I love it. What would you give I this love then? it. I would give it four out of five broken arms. Okay. Okay. All right. Broken arms slash hands. All right. 
Cool. Well, yeah. all right. that sounds like... So we're going to go a different direction entirely. Yes. Yeah. Jill? <laughs> yes. Time for something way later. Let me tell you, this is this is one heck of a double feature what that we watched. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yes, I believe that, actually, um, um, having seen this movie. So <laughs> <laughs> So for the assignment, I guess, if you will, I, I wanted to do a director that I could look at that of films that I've seen and I could say like okay I there is a style here yeah um I originally wanted to do Hitchcock but it turns out that he has a very large filmography and a good 10 years of that is just not accessible anywhere (laughs) so it's not really his directorial debut if he's been directing for 10-15 years when you finally get to a movie you can watch yeah so instead I decided to do Mel Brooks okay because he is such a distinct style still funny yeah. And, you know, going into this, I actually didn't know what his directorial debut was. So I was really surprised when it turned out to be The Producers. The Producers. Um, 1967, actually. S- specifically, November 22nd, 1967. I have the, the page for it over here. Um, for those of you who may not have ever heard of this film or maybe are not familiar with the Broadway musical that came out in the early 2000s or the unfortunate movie remake from the mid 2000s i take offense to unfortunate it was still decent it's nowhere near as good as the original because of what the the material yeah and they were banking on it this is a whole side tangent we'll get there um so for those of you who might not be familiar with the story um the producers is about a washed-up Broadway producer named Max Bialystok, Bialystok, who has had a series of flops, and at this point, he <laughs> is um, frisking around with little old ladies. What was the name of the old, first old lady? Hold me, hold touch, me touch me. me. Hold me, touch hold me. me she touch is credited me. as hold me, hold touch me, me which touch I love. Me. Hold me, touch me. Um, she likes to play the the milkmaid and the the water boy. Yeah. Um, oh, and the chauffeur. And the chauffeur. The chauffeur. Um. Anyway, God, so he's making he, he's <laughs> making money by frisking around with little old ladies to fund future musicals or plays, though that's not really going well. So one day during one of his romps with one of his lady paramours, an accountant shows up, played by Gene Wilder. Um, and I didn't Yo, say boom. it. <laughs> Leo Bloom is the the character played by Gene Wilder, and Max Bialystok is played by Zero Mostel. Um, most of you, if you don't um, recognize that role of him from Producers, you might know him from a funny thing that happened on the way to the Forum. Um, he's been around. He was a blacklisted actor. Really interesting history. Look him up. Anyway, Leo Bloom comes oh. in. He's a neurotic little niebish wreck. <laughs> Carries around a blanket <laughs> with him. Very insecure. And after a rather frightening introduction, sits down, opens up the books, and realizes that Max had unintentionally raised $2,000 more than he needed for his last play. That play closed in a night, so no one really knew otherwise. And then, as he's kind of muttering to himself, he says, you know, it's interesting you can make a fortune by raising more money than you need for a me- for a play as long as it closes the you know within a couple days and Bialystok has that light bulb moment where he's like this is it i'm going to raise the money there's a lot of little old ladies out there we're going to put on the worst musical on broadway or play and it's going to close in a night and we're going off to rio and Leo was like, that's illegal. Yeah. I can't do this. So the first 45 minutes is just setting up this duo, and they have fantastic chemistry. Um, Zero Muscles, Max Bialystok, is just pure id. He has no shame. <laughs> he's hit. He's past rock bottom. Uh, as I said earlier, Gene Wilder as Leo Bloom is just this nervous wreck, and they just come together beautifully. There's a scene where... He's having an anxiety attack, and you can see through the acting him visibly getting red. Yes, yeah. no, that's when really was like, that wow, like Gene Wilder, great character great actor. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, and this was his second character role. Actor, not the right way to phrase that, I but think um, this, this was his second film role. Was it? Yeah, wow. it's, yeah. This is a very young Gene Wilder too. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna look that up. I believe you, but yeah. I'm just gonna yeah. look it up just because I'm curious. So as they're reading through, they finally find their flop, and it is called "Springtime for Hitler: A Gay Romp with Hitler and Ava." And they're like, this is it. This is our this is our bull, our lightning in a bottle. So they seek out to the, the author, um, a former Nazi, or as he would say, I'm innocent, 
um, Franz Liebkin to get permission. Franz Liebkin. He's very excited to prove to the world that we, the, our concept of Hitler is wrong. We never knew the man. He was a fantastic dancer. He was in four TV series, one TV movie, and then just one film, film. Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde. Clyde. Yes. Yep. Um, so they have the author's permission. They go, they get a director um, who... It's the ni- it's the late 1960s. He's gay. They make lots of gay jokes. I would say that they are not distasteful. Yeah, they're not. They're you not can great. tell they're 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 not like it hasn't aged super well. But it's like it, it, whatever. I mean, whatever. Yeah. I'm I'm a straight guy yeah. talking about this. Like you know, if people find it offensive, I wouldn't blame. Them, I would say it's say. not yeah. the most cringy thing in this movie. And in fact, like I'll get to it. But there's a Nazi. There's like, there's <laughs> lots of Nazis. Yes, yeah. they. We don't know what the original play was like, but the director reads it and he's like, oh my god, I'm going to get a line of chorus girls dressed as stormtroopers, latex, black boots, doing high can-can kicks. Yep. This is going to win me a Tony. And the, the the scheme progresses. They hold auditions to find a Hitler. Yeah. The guy they end up picking is, his name acronym is LSD. No, abbreviation. I'm sorry. His abbreviation is LSD. Yes. And he's this play on your 1960s love child. He shows up wearing a soup can around his neck. And yep. he just is like, I got my groovy groove backup band here. Let me sing you a song. He's got flowers in his hands. That's our Hitler, someone shouts. Perfect. <laughs> so, I think it was the um, Alstock. He said, that's our Hitler. That's our Hitler. <laughs> so the play goes on. It starts. And it's this wonderful opening number called Springtime for Hitler. And it's all about the triumphs of Germany. Yep. You know, they're goose step. You're goose stepping two steps once more. Um, some people leave this the theater. <laughs> some people leave, and Max Bialystok and Leo Bloomer like, yes, we did it. Yeah. We are gonna close this. They've raised over, I think, two thousand twenty-five thousand percent shares. That's how many shares of the show they have sold. They're like, we did it, and then they go off to a bar, and they're like, we're just gonna wait, and it's gonna be fantastic. But what happens is that after the opening number, we meet Hitler, this groovy, hippy-dippy guy, and the audience just starts laughing yep. because it's hilarious. It's a parody. It's not a... Yeah. Yeah. They've unintentionally created what, in at least in the, this universe of the world, is the first that satire of the Nazis. Right. Um, and much to Max and Leo's horror they find out later this show will run forever (laughs) so the rest of the film is them trying to close off the show be it shoot the actors that probably that joke did not age well no no Um, it did not (laughs) shooting the actors or as they ultimately settle they decide to blow up the theater they do blow something up but they get caught and they get sent to um sent to jail there's a wonderful courtroom scene right at the end where you know they're about to get their sentence and leo stands up and he's like, this man is selfish, he's mean, he's horrible, and Max the whole time is just like, don't help me, please don't help me, right. stop helping me. But it ends with Leo saying, you know what though, he didn't hurt me because he helped me live. He didn't hurt these old ladies, there are all these old ladies behind them. Yep. He gave them one last thrill off the way, to, um, you know, on their way to the cemetery, mm-hmm. and they get a standing ovation. And the film ends with them running rehearsals for a show inside the state penitentiary. Was it Prison Time Lovers? Prison Prisoners of Love. Prisoners of Love. And you think they might be reformed, but no, they're selling shares of the play. Though we only see them sell 100%. We see three guys in line. One guy buys 20, another guy buys 30, and then a a person shows up with a letter from the warden. And Leo's like 50%. So it ends right there. So we're like, oh, do they raise more than that 100? They may try <laughs> to do it again. Doing. Overall, this movie has aged surprisingly really, yeah. really well. Um, <laughs> and, Sorry. <laughs> and my game, it paid off because you see so much of Mel Brooks' distinct style in this movie. Um, you know, breaks fourth wall breaks to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene where uh, after Leo has a panic attack, Max looks at the camera. He's like, they find me. They always find me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. And God. just, you know, uh, Mel Brooks has gone on record and said that he's kind of made it his like life goal to like laugh at Hitler. 
And a couple of years ago, I think it was in 2016, he was part of a documentary called The Last Laugh, I think it's called. Okay. And the entire documentary is about Holocaust humor. Is it appropriate to laugh? When is it not appropriate to laugh? Okay. So they have all these um, famous comedians and directors talking about Holocaust humor and when it works. And it usually, it works best when you're making fun of the Nazis and Hitler. Mm-hmm. When does it not? When you're actually seeing the camps and the prisoners and they use uh, they talk about a, a whole bunch of different films so um life is beautiful the the yep. italian film mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like that movie because they think that the the father who's trying to lighten the mo- the mode the mood for the son is incredibly disrespectful he's trying to make light of the situation for a child but I he's also indirectly being comedic to the audience yeah. and some people think well we shouldn't be laughing when they're in this concentration camp, even if it's for the sake of this child. There's um, a movie, I can't remember what it's called, it's something about a, a clown. It's never been screened. Um, I'm, I should have looked this up to begin with. Um, but uh, it it's also about laughing at um, the Holocaust and the person the who is in... The Clown Cried? Yes. This movie has never been, has never had a public screening. It, it is complete, but... Sorry, Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis. I remember that. Yeah, and he's yeah, like, yeah. And Jerry Lewis, I think, is like retroactively was like, I'm ashamed that I was part of this. Yeah. Um, the other part of The Last Laugh follows a, a Holocaust survivor who's this, like, spitfire of a woman who, for her, she's like, no, I have to laugh because laughing is part of, you know, is what makes you alive. Yeah. And Mel Brooks goes into why he thinks this musical, the producers, lives on as such a good film. Yeah. Is because it, what it makes fun of, it does so well, and it kind of lets the air out of the room. Yeah. And you should really hate Max and Leo, but you kind of are rooting for them to fail. Right. Because they're kind of, they're, there's this weird underdog-ness right. to them. And you see that in other Mel Brooks characters. Yeah. Um, Blazing Saddles. I should have looked awesome, up characters' man. names, but you see that. With the new sheriff in town, right. and then Gene Wilder's character, who's yep. like a cowboy who used fastest to be hand in the fastest West. hand in the West before he started drinking. Yep. Um, Robin Hood Men in Tights from the early 90s, same deal. They're kind of a ragtag crew. In this case, you know, you're supposed to be rooting for them. They're Robin Hood. But they're kind of mismatched, and you have all these weird personalities coming together. I'm so mad I didn't think of Gene Wilder's character in Blazing Saddles, because he goes, my name's Jim, my friends call me... Jim. <laughs> and, like, it's such a dumb joke, but I love it. Yeah. yeah. The, the, Sorry, keep going. It, the producers, and pretty much any Mel Brooks film, is very memeable. Um, yeah. Young Frankenstein, which Young reunited Frankenstein yep. Mel Brooks yes. with Gene Wilder it's in my, 1874. My personal Mel Brooks film, yeah. Great film. And also a weird crew, mm-hmm. where it's like you've yeah. got these personalities that range from, like, highball of anxiety to egomaniac right. coming together and just telling a really great story mm-hmm. regarding the musical they did make one um in the early 2000s first musical i ever saw that's why i have a soft spot for the producers i so. saw mm. it when i was too young to understand what i was looking at yeah um, no, I, I didn't understand it but yeah. yeah but i would say that having i'm a fan of the musical and they did a really good job converting the uh, making songs out of the original script. Yeah, right. Um, and you can you can mention like, oh, like this is when they made a, a musical. I'm like, yeah. oh, that makes sense. Though yeah. I don't think the song that the the plays Hitler, Love Power. Yeah, right. Is in it, that's not in the musical, which is a shame because that song fucking slaps. <laughs> you might have to bleep me out for that. Um, <laughs> and then in two thousand, tile myself now or like how myself how to me yes exactly yeah so um then 2005 they did a film adaptation of the musical with uh nathan lane and matthew broderick who originated the roles on broadway and that's one of the reasons why the musical works so well yeah is nathan lane is the perfect stand-in for zero mostel Matthew Broderick is the same for exactly it is fantastic chemistry between those two the reason the movie does not work is because they hired a stage director to direct a film so she directed it the way you would a show and if you watch the movie there are pauses that would be there for the audiences to like laugh or clap and it's really clunky and if you're this is going to date the podcast that Hamilton's about to the the, yep. sc- the film version of Hamilton's about to come out tomorrow, mm-hmm. and the way that they did this is that it's not a film adaptation; it is 
the performance. The performance, performance right? They yeah, got, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they sat in on three different performances plus rehearsals. And they had different cameras set up to get all the shots that they needed. So they have a lot of shots from pulled out. They have different shots pulled in. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I kind of wish that they had just done that with the producers because it would have worked so much better than trying to make a film out of it. So, yeah, that that was a little tangent. (laughs) Overall, producers, great film. I highly recommend it. If you have not seen it, it is a great piece of film. The original is fantastic. Yeah, it, I, it, it is a little dated, we will say. But sure, but it's still it's funny. Still, I, I had multiple laugh out loud moments. Yeah, you like, like I'm just saying there's, spit take. I'm yeah. just saying there's little things. Yes, like, there, there, not, are, there, yeah. there are little problematic yeah. points, yes. I would say. There, yes. there are problematic points. I would say that the, the treatment of the director who is gay is not the worst thing you will see from a film from that era, Yes, but it is but also it is not, not PC. Yes. I mean, let's face it, it's Mel Brooks. I mean, he has blazing saddles on his record, like, where that's problematic because of the use of the N-word. You know, right, now, right. You know, and, like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Where it, it's it's things that were a different time, and, like, we're different. not excusing it, but at the same time, like... Going knowing. Yeah. Going knowing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, go exactly. Go yes. Go, in, no, go into this film knowing that, knowing it's from the, the late 60s, it's not from 2020. Right. This movie would not be made today. Yes, It physically right. could yeah. not be made today. I, yeah. 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 So what would you give it rating-wise? Oh, my God. I would give it five out of five um, pretzel bras. Yeah. Oh, all right. I would, I would give it four... And a half Nazi can can formations out of five. Okay, you guys watched some SWAT. SWAT two two yeah. great movies there. Yeah, no, th- yeah. it was two great movies, but it was also just tonal whiplash. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I mean, I'm really happy I didn't do Hitchcock because after watching Ex Machina, I'm like, hey, we're gonna watch Psycho now. Which yeah. is not his directorial debut, but no, like, we're gonna watch like, Psycho but, or Rear Window. Yeah. You would have just been like, no, I can't do it. Yes, right. I'm like, Ugh. we're done. Yeah. All right, well, then I'm going to talk about something that also hasn't aged well. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hell, yeah. Um, so originally, I went into this thing going, I'm going to find a comedic uh, director, because I was just like, we need some comedy. We at, at this point, I knew we had Alex Garland, and I knew we had Damien Chazelle. And Damien Chazelle, though, he, he's like kind of borderline like comedy dra- drama, it was just more drama, I felt like. Mm. I didn't know you were doing Mel Brooks, um, but I looked at Edgar Wright, who's one of my favorite directors. Um, originally I thought it was going to be Shaun of the Dead. It ended up being this movie called Fistful of Fingers, which is impossible to find. Yep. It is a spaghetti western in Britain, and it is literally impossible to find. He has essentially cut it being distributed. Um, so then I was just like, okay, I'm not going to do Shaun of the Dead, so I'm going to watch something entirely different. I thought about some of my favorite directors, and I didn't find a comedic director. I found Sam Mendes. Uh, who directed 1917 most recently, and I just thought about how great I thought that movie was. Mm. So I went back to find his first. His first was a little film called American Beauty. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we're gonna go there. This side. So was this your first time watching American Beauty? This is my first time watching oh, American wow. Beauty. Wow. And did okay. you know, besides just like Kevin Spacey's in it, did you know anything about it? I knew slight amount about it. Okay. I knew about like the paper bag scene. Yep. Okay. Um, and I knew about a little of the premise. Okay. And so like I knew it was like this guy's basically going through his midlife crisis after but i didn't realize it was like his wife belittles him his daughter belittles him and he meets the daughter's friend and that like arouses an awakening in him yeah and um it's so this movie would have been troublesome to watch before the kevin spacey it was, stuff it, it was made to be troublesome right yeah i would, I would yeah. argue and this, this i mean it's it's all about what i would call troublesome relationships yeah it's 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 weird it's like this take on it and everything like that it's not supposed to be like the healthiest relationships right off the bat because there's the weird son played by um oh what's his name um oh shoot yes yes I'm bringing it up right now um i gotta just because i think up. i know who plays the daughter so, um, Wes Bentley is mm. the weird son. Uh, Thor Birch is the daughter. Thor Birch. Annette Benning is the wife. Kevin Spacey, obviously. Um, Peter Gallagher is in it. Allison Janney, Chris Cooper, Scott Bakula. Um, it's, it's a loaded cast. 
And I'm still shocked Mitchell guessed what the movie was when I said <laughs> that it had John Cho in it. Yeah. Because he, he figured it out from that. Um, John Cho was literally just a... He went to a sale of a house and like looked at the house and he was in for 30 seconds and he was gone. Mm. Um, but somehow Mitchell guessed that was the movie. Um, so basically, Kevin Spacey plays Lester Burnham. Um, he meets his daughter's friend, Angela who's played by Mina Suvari. I don't know what else she's been in lately, but um, basically, like, falls in love with her and just keeps seeing her. And then, like, it starts his midlife crisis where he realizes he's old, but he's not living his life to the fullest, so he does things like quit his job. He goes and works at a burger shack. Like, you know, it's... Literally, all he wants to do is be a line cook at a McDonald's. You know, like, not an actual McDonald's, but that's essentially you, what he you wants need to the do. standard, yeah. Yeah. And, um... It... The movie's weird. <laughs> yes. Because it is supposed to be, like, strange. Um, there's a character called the General that thinks his son is doing, like, sexual favors for him. Uh, for, for Lester. And really, he's just selling him weed, because he's just smoking weed. Like, he's smoking a ton of weed and stuff like that. Um, the son, Wes Bentley, is, like, he's a filmographer that's just disconnected from the human condition, pretty much, where he just catches it through the camera versus, like, actually experience it. Right. Uh, the wife, uh, Annette Benning, who plays Carolyn, has an affair with Peter Gallagher, who plays Buddy Kane. Um... It's just all around weird, and it like starts with the fact that Lester's going to die today, and like you're checking into his life and that kind of thing. What I will say about the movie that I'm trying to separate because I'm trying to separate Kevin Spacey from this film. Yeah, it's hard, and he is the main character. He's the main character, and you know, this is really <laughs> the first. Kevin Spacey heavy movie that I've watched since the stuff came. We out. we had a tough time watching Baby Driver and that. Yeah. Like I was like, there's more Kevin Spacey than I, I remember. This very movie. Like I, to watch it I love Baby yeah. Driver. And yeah. I have not gone back to it. It. I mean, I still loved it watching it again. Yeah. But there is a lot of Kevin Spacey in there. Yeah. It's like, ah, sorry, yeah. Usual Suspects, one of my favorites, yeah. and like he he's great in it. But it's it's so tough to watch. It's yeah. like it's it's just. A, it's such a hard thing to do to separate the character or the actor from the movie. Art from artistry, yeah. And especially in this one because like he's going after an underage girl. Right, that's the thing. Is yeah. that the plot is just way too close to home exactly. at this point. I would say I would have done I want I, I love Woody Allen films. Yeah. Like, I don't love Woody Allen, but I love right. man's films. Exactly. I would have I wanted to do one of his, but I'm like I think it's Manhattan. Yeah. And I'm like uh can't cuz right. he dates an underage girl in that. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's exactly it. Like, this was a really tough film to just be, like, watching and, like, separate everything from it. Um, what I have taken is that I think Sam Rendez does a really good job in it. There's some scenes that kind of, like... There's one scene where Kevin Spacey's sitting on the couch and Annette Benning comes into the scene and he kind of pans out. But you don't get the face of Annette Benning. You just get the voice... And, like, you know it's her. Yeah. And, like, there's certain things like that that he does that I'm just like, oh, this is great. And I see the future director coming up. Definitely. No, there's some there's some, there's some some nice shots in there. Because there's also a shot where he's... Uh, I remember just, like, the, the, there was him the shot of him working at his desk job or mm-hmm. whatever. And you could see a reflection in his in his monitor. Yep. And it looks like a jail cell. You know? And it's like... Oh, it's, yeah. Like, I'm, when, when you just say it out loud like that, it's like, oh, okay. It sounds pretty on the nose. But, like, it's it's well done. You yeah. know? And it's like, oh, it evokes a feeling. you remember, this movie's... Like, 1999. Yeah. It's not like it's, like, um, it is... Yeah, 1999. Yeah. Um, and so it's one of those things where it's literally, like... It, it's a great movie, even though it's very uncomfortable. Right. And, like, it's saying an 8.3 on IMDb, 84 on Metascore, you know? And so it's, like, it's... It's tough to separate now, but at the same time, like, I can, I can see how people love this movie. Because it is yeah. very, it's meant to be problematic. It's meant to challenge you, you know, and that kind of stuff. Um, it won five Oscars. Like, yeah. You know, this is including it best director. It won five Oscars. Oscars. Yes. So um, and best director. Best picture, best director, best yes. actor in a leading role. Sure. Uh, best writing, screenplay, and 
Best Cinematography. This would have been the wow. 2000 Oscars? Yep. I want to see what it beat. And there was also three other ones that it was nominee. Best Actress in the Leading Role, Best Film Editing, and Best Music Original Score. Mm. I don't know about the score, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a very good movie. Um, I don't know. It's, it's tough to separate. And so like yeah. that's where I'm getting to my final rating, because I think I have two. Before... The Kevin Spacey stuff came up. I probably could have given this movie like a four out of five. Okay, yeah. After, it's like a two out of five probably. Because it's just too uncomfortable. Like It's, it's too so, uncomfortable. So I guess the, your bottom line is you can't recommend this movie now. I can't recommend this movie now. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. I haven't, because I, I watched it beforehand and I yeah. also enjoyed it. But probably, I don't remember it well enough to give it a hard rating now, but... Yeah. If you asked me then, I would probably give it a, like a four out of five as well. Yeah. I didn't like the film. Uh, I yeah, it. no, you, you I said you did not college, enjoy it. I found it to be. I, I get what it's trying to do. Yeah. What? But the whole concept, like I like that it's a satire of American middle class, mm. America mm. middle middle Americana, but the whole concept of him lusting after the the daughter's friend. It's just so. Ugh. So that's the interesting, right? Because I think that's like I mean not to be that guy. Yes, yeah. but like I think that's also like. I think that's where kind of gender comes in a little bit, right? Where it's like, I can totally see that perspective where it's like, the dude's a fucking predator. And yeah. like, that's yeah. an, 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 an like unequivocal fact. Yeah. Um, but when I f- first watched that movie, I was like, oh man, this is just fucking tragic. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, I, but like the thing is, is that when I watched it, I didn't even I would didn't even feel for the girl at all like the right. like the friend at all which she went out she's of, the biggest victim out of all of and it. like as much as like and I'm not I'm not victim blaming or anything sure, like sure. that she also tried to seduce him. Yes. Yeah. yes it's not like she was saying like oh, no I don't but want also this. but also she's a 16 year old girl yes uh, and so, I, who does and not understand the ramifications of correct actions. yes yes and that's what the scene that got me from this whole thing. Even though it is dirty and wrong and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. The scene that got me in this thing was when he learns she was a virgin. Right. Yeah. Right. I was going to say. Like, like, that's what sticks in my mind, too. Right. Yeah. And it's then more, he's just like, okay, I can't, I can't real, do this. Yeah. The reality yeah. kind of crashes in where it's just like, okay, there's there's desire, then there's acting on it. There's acting on it. Right. Which, and this is just. Yeah. She's, she's a girl. Yes. Yeah. She's not a woman. She's a girl. And and, and and like and the way I'd see it is that there's a reason that Kevin Spacey dies in that movie, and it's kind of because like the, uh, to me that was the movie, the film saying he's gone past the point of no return. He is not. He's irredeemable. Is how I would frame that and make us a mind. Walk but, back into that marriage. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that and also you can't walk back. What's trying to have, trying yeah. to have sex with a sixteen year old girl? Right. You know. I wouldn't have been surprised if that movie ended with him taking his own life. Like I, you know, that's that's the or thing. Just faking his little, faking his death. Yeah, his just starting over. a Dexter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. So it's very uncomfortable. Um, as I said before, the Kevin Spacey stuff, I would have probably given it out of five. Um, rose petals. Sure. You know, I mean, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the obvious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or plastic bag, paper bag. Paper bag, exactly. I also thought about um, if after the Kevin Spacey thing, I'll give it two out of five videos in son's room that Got he it. has on the cool. shelf. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough. You know, it, it's, it's an interesting case study for sure. You know? It is. I, 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 I haven't gone back to so it. I don't think I will. I do have a question for you. So what about the movies distinct about, like, distinct to Sam Mendes? That's the thing. I can't really say there's a certain thing. Right. Because it's almost like it launched him the other way. Because Sam Mendes now... Does like a lot of James Bond. I was about to say, it's like, like like I don't remember. I remember, I remember watching Skyfall, and being like, oh man, this is the guy who made American Beauty. And this yeah. is something that I noticed when I was trying to think about a director was, you know, just because you're a director doesn't necessarily like, you know, there's so many other people who go into making a movie. You know, not every director has a distinct style. Not everyone is a right. Peter Jackson. Um, even Steven Spielberg, like, you know, you know, you're watching a Spielberg film, but at the same time, they're not screaming style. Yes. Yeah. And, like, his next movie was Road to Perdition, which I feel like could closer. follow some, yeah. like, in close resemblance is what I will say. Mm. And then he went to Jarhead, Revolutionary Road, Revolutionary Away movie. We Go, then Skyfall That's Inspector. Wow, really? There's that Away big of a Away We Go yeah. is, like, 180 from Revolutionary Road. Yeah. Three years between Away We Go and Skyfall. Okay, gotcha. One oh. year between Revolutionary Road and Away We Go. And then you get three years in between Skyfall and Spectre, and yep. finally... Um, he directed Spectre, too? Yeah. Oh, wow. And then four years to 1917. Okay. So the only thing I will say that seems like 
consistent from the beginning to the end is that he lets shots linger. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, it's easy to say 1917 because, like, it's all one shot. Sure, and sure. Like that. But in what I've found about American Beauty is that there's some shots that just kind of go, like, it's just, all right, I've got this shot of you two, and you finish talking, but we're still here, just kind of <laughs> lingering. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, shoom, 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 you know, like that kind yeah. of thing, where it's like zoom in, zoom in, and then, yeah. all right, back out to the full. Harsh harsh use of cross shots, so, I guess. Exactly. From what, so I, I've seen um, American Beauty, I've seen Revolutionary Road, and I've seen mm-hmm. Away We Go. And I don't know if this is him picking the movies he wants to direct, or he has a, he's a thing. So all three of those films in this case are about American families. Yeah. Um, so we have Amer- middle class Americana. Revolutionary Road takes place. I don't remember. Like it's like it's not present day. It's like the fifties okay. or the sixties, I think. Um, and it's about a family coming apart and having their own skeletons in their closets and the marital strife between Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. Away We Go is almost like Juno-esque in its quirkiness. It's Mm -hmm. about uh, young, new, going-to-be parents trying to figure out what type of parents they want to be. Okay. And, you know, they're not wealthy or anything like that. Right. Um, And, you know, they go to three different places to experience three different types of parenting styles. You know, one of them is, like, you know, your sports mom, the other one of the, the other one I remember is Maggie Gyllenhaal plays a sister, okay. I think, and she's like this hippie to be love child mom who's also like a collegiate professor at like a highbrow institution yeah. who doesn't believe in the institution of str- of strollers. Okay. <laughs> it's a very fun movie, okay. but you know, it's, it's these different takes on life, family yeah. life. Um. So, I, I don't know if that's, like, Sam Mendes is a thing for that type of film. I don't know. I mean, because it feels like he, he's all over the board. I feel like he just doesn't want to be pinned down. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's... There's a difference between, like, Skyfall and Spectre, even. There's a difference yeah. between 1917 and, like, obviously, Revolutionary Road and Away We Go, you know? So, it's just... It's something weird, because... It feels like none of his movies are really the same, even though they kind of are. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. I really like Sam Mendes. Um, I'm going to go back and watch some of these other ones. Yeah. Um, and it could just be that I just love 1917, so that's really why <laughs> I wanted to do this I mean, this that's one. a good reason as any, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Revolution I wrote is the 50s. Okay. 50s. Okay. Well... Um, that will do it on our directorial debuts. Yeah. We are still stuck without movies at this point in time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Hamilton's everything... coming out. Hamilton. You know? I'm going to be watching that tomorrow, for sure. Yeah. Like yeah. Musicals. Yeah, I mean, we're still stuck without new movies for a little bit. Yeah. Um, Tenet's the next movie. <laughs> yeah. Whenever that's going to come Mulan. out. And Mulan. And Mulan. Mulan. Wonder Mulan. Woman. Mulan. Mulan. Got pushed. Yeah. Okay. And it's just, it's more so, it feels like everything's just kind of following Tenet's lead. <laughs> Yeah, well, so it's, it's fascinating. Pushed, yeah. WB has gone on record saying that they do not intend to have Tenant in theaters. Like, they intend to have them having Tenant in theaters for way, way longer. Yeah. And they're aware that, like, we're just going to let people watch this movie when they're ready and feel comfortable, yep. too. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's um, so, yeah. starting at, like, seven weeks or something like that already, where it's just, like, it knows it's going to go for seven weeks. Yeah. Which, a movie that hasn't been proven... Seven weeks is a really it's long Nolan. time. Nolan, yeah. like they're banking. I mean, what, what's the last time Nolan's put out a film that flopped? Yeah, right. But yeah. actually, I can't even think of a Nolan. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, even following the following flopped in comparison to the rest of them. Yeah, but that was just because nobody really knew who he was. And right now, it's gained this following after people people are Nolan fans, right? Yes. So yeah, and I, I gotta say, this movie just straight up has me already. Tenant? Yeah. Yeah. You already like, don't know what it is. I yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm interested. I am always down for a Nolan romp. Like I, I like I enjoy his movies a lot. Yeah. Um I mean and, you know, and Angela and I were talking about it and it's like I, I I'm looking forward to going to the movie theater again. I don't think I'll be watching this day one, whatever day one is. You yeah. know? Yeah. Kind of got to see how this goes. All of these movies are great. I've never seen Falling, but Memento, Insomnia. Yeah, Memento yeah. is such a like, yeah. Memento is so great. Yeah. yeah, he yeah. hasn't put out the like. Prestige, yes. Yeah. Forgot that was him, but yeah, 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 yeah. Right. that makes sense. I'm, right. a, I'm an Illusionist fan. Prestige is good, but I like the Illusionist uh, better. Yeah. I was a Prestige fan. 
Yeah, fist bump. I, you jerks. Fist bump the illusionist. I will say that like both of them are like no matter how many times I see those films, I'm both of them. I'm like great ending, but the illusionist when the inspector figures it all out. Yes, and the claps, illusionist. I'm the, clapping because yes. I can see it. Yeah, the illusionist. The the illusionist. The rug pull moment was better. I thought. <laughs> yeah, you know? where it's like if you actually yeah, if you look, you can right. see it all. Yeah, but the rug pull moment is what you go on. I like the entirety of the Prestige. Yeah. Yes, I mean, yes, Prestige has David Bowie as Tesla. Yeah. And yeah. Andy Serkis carrying a cat around. <laughs> you, yeah. you guys have now got me an idea that maybe we have to do where we just watch two movies that are very similar. And then put them head-to-head? And yes. put them head-to-head or something. I love a head-to-head. All right. Yeah. So we need to do Bugs Life versus Ants. Either that or we just need to watch a bad movie all together again. Yes, That's that true, too. too. You're right. Yeah. We need to do that. I've got bad yeah. movies. Come on with head-to-head, though. I like that, too. Ants versus Bugs Life. Yeah, right. That's, that. that's obvious. That's an easy one. Yeah. We can, we can talk about this. has fallen versus... What the fuck was that? Oh, there was like White a... White House Down or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Like that's, that's just another one that's like the same movie that came out. Yep. Uh-huh. That would actually... Yeah, that's an interesting one because those came out the well, same time. You need time. also yeah. like... I feel like you need like a really... Like not the like example here, but like Hunger Games versus like Diver, like Hunger Games versus Diversion is like you can't really do that comparison because like Hunger Games, it, it would be Hunger yeah. Games, but like right. they're both Divergent versus Maze Runner. Right, that's the thing. It's like I would I would put those two in the same league. Yeah. Right, exactly. I'm not even a big Hunger Games guy, but it's like that's that was a those phenomenon. Two, yeah, that, that was a phenomenon. Like Hunger Games was a phenomenon. We're those talking ones that fell through the cracks. Yeah, th- those are those those two were standard YA adaptations. We will we will figure this out. We um we've got some time until the next big movie. But there comes needs out. to be a game because it's been a while since the game has been featured on game. We for could a definitely movie. do a game and make somebody do Watch a bad something movie. Bad. Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't really want it to be you to lose so I can enjoy another bad movie. I just like bad movies. Ah. You can lose now. You've done enough shows. You could be in this mix. Yeah, Aww. right. <laughs> yeah. But, all right, that'll do it for our friend Mitchell at the laundromat. Maybe abducted. We don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. I am your host, Mike Tank, joined by... Andre Bellinger. Jill. Thank you for a game for a movie where we ask, are you game for a movie? See you next time. Bye. Bye.